Our scripture passage today is Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Uh, before we jump into that, can we all just say thank you to Antonio for the incredible work he did leading us this morning. And thank you, choir, beautiful as always. And thank you uh, to our sound team back there. We really appreciate it. All right, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you know not what, what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in the household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the, that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> you know, Pastor Chris sat me down about a month ago, and he says, I have two weekends that you, I want you to pick one. The first one, we don't have any text for, so you'll have to choose it on your own. The second one is November 27th, the first day of Advent. And I thought, great, I will do the first day of Advent. We get easy Christmas sermon. I won't have to work too hard on this. It will be great. And so I said, I will take the first week of Advent. And you know, Pastor Chris, he's a little bit hard to read. He's pretty stoic. But I'm pretty sure a slight smile creeped on his face. And I'm sure he was thinking, man, he does not know what he's getting himself into. And oh boy, I did not know what I was getting myself into. But my mama raised no cowards, so here we are, and we're going to look at this in very important text. Now, the reason why I was confused is we often think about Advent as preparing for Christmas. But really, Advent is 40 days of preparing for Epiphany. Epiphany means appearance. And it's where we celebrate that Jesus Christ has come as, and been declared as the Son of God and being declared to the Gentiles. And it's a great time. And so Advent means coming. So we have coming and appearance. 
parents coming. Makes sense. And so Advent is focused not just on the first coming of Jesus, but also on his second coming. Because as Christians, we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, that he uh, grew up and and performed miracles and cast out demons, and that he died on the cross for our sins. But that isn't the end of our story. We believe that three days later, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and that one day he will return. And when he returns, he's going to judge the world. When he returns, he's going to set everything right. When he returns, he's going to defeat and destroy sin and death once and for all. And when we see that, we begin to get a clearer picture of what Jesus' first coming was all about. He came preaching and teaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, the great kingdom where God's rule will be experienced, all gets started at his first coming. We, we know that, that he uh, is going to defeat and annihilate sin and death and so he started it by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. Death's defeat is certain. We don't have to fear it because of his first coming. And we know that he's going to come to judge the world. And we know that when he judges the world, he's going to declare all of us guilty. And so we know his first coming was to make a way for us to find righteousness. For us to be declared by him not guilty, but innocent. And so the second coming is of great importance to us. And in our time of Advent, we need to be prepared for the second coming. And that's what this passage gives us. This passage gives us three ways not to prepare and three ways to prepare for the second coming. So let's look at the first not way. Uh, it's in verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So the first way not to prepare is we should not try to guess exactly when he's coming, because he's very clear, no one knows. And yet, people keep guessing over and over and over again. I heard somebody wrote a book called uh, 22 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 2022. And I'm pretty sure next year he'll write 23 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 2023. And I'm sure that last reason will be, well, it didn't happen in 2022. Uh, be honest with me, how many have heard that joke before? Yeah, if you've, you've been around, you've heard that joke before. The oldest version of the joke uh, I've heard was 88 and 89, which was before I was born. Uh, I am sure there was a Puritan preacher back in 1645 going, there was a, uh, someone wrote on a scroll 1645 reasons that Jesus was coming back in 1645. It's a great joke because people fall for it over and over again. And yet, Jesus is very clear, no one will know. So you ask, what about all the signs? The Bible is full of signs of the end times. 
And yeah, it is. But here's the way I like to think about it. I'm from California, and so we have been waiting for the big one, the big earthquake that will cut California in half and slide it into the ocean. And we've been waiting on it for decades, and it hasn't come. But the same tectonic plates that are crashing into each other, that will crash into each other to cause the big one, are crashing into each other now, causing many, many earthquakes. And it's the same with Christ. When Jesus came, we said he, he came and he already brought the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is crashing into the kingdom of this world. And every time it crashed, we feel it. We experience something of the end times because that is the moment that it happens. So every time we experience a crash, we see a sign of the kingdom of heaven fighting against the kingdom of this world. And so when we see signs, we shouldn't just be, oh, it's now. We shouldn't break out our, our wires and our red lines and, and try to map it out. We should say the tectonics under our feet are crashing again. The battle between heaven and earth is raging now. We may not live in the end times, but we live in important times. We live in this time of war. We live in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so we should see under every thing the workings of God and the workings of the kingdom of this age fighting so we should not guess about when he comes. Well, what else should we not do? In verse 37, he continues, As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we know that in the times of Noah, there was great wickedness, incredible amounts of sin, and that is what caused the judgment. And yet, Jesus isn't mentioning the sins that they were doing. He's just mentioning normal, everyday activities. So Jesus is not telling about the coming, the, what will be judged on here. He is pointing out how the people of Noah's time missed that a flood was coming. And how did they miss it? Well, they were just caught up, living life, doing normal things. And that is the way we'll miss the coming, second coming. We'll just be caught up doing normal things. And I'm sure it is happening even right now. I am sure right now, that there is somebody here who is not listening to a word I'm saying because they're thinking about their Christmas to-do list. So if you are listening to me and you can hear me, I need you to shake your neighbor really hard and tell them, stop thinking about your Christmas to-do list. Start thinking about your second coming to-do list. Because it's so easy to get caught up 
in the day-to-day things. So we should not guess about when he's coming. We should not get caught up in the day-to-day. And then third from verse 40, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Uh, This language was used in a book series that that got a couple movies made. Um, I loved them, reading them as a kid. I loved it because the main characters actually died in this. And so you never get like a true cliffhanger moment most of the time because you know the main characters survive. But in this series, the main characters actually died. And so I read all the books as soon as they were coming out. And that series is Left Behind. How many of you read Left Behind? But uh, this text isn't that. This text isn't a rapture text. This isn't that. In fact, the, the framework of the Left Behind series wasn't created until the 1800s with Darby and popularized by Schofield. So that framework is relatively new. In most of Christian history, we've been reading this text the other way, a different way. So how do we read that text? Well, we have to put aside our perspective and try to go back into the perspective of the original audience. And the original audience were Pharisees and Jews. And these Pharisees and Jews, what they knew, what they built their entire religion, their entire philosophy around, was that we can determine who's going to be the Messiah kind of people. We can determine, we can know exactly what to do to be the kind of people that the Messiah will come to. And guess what? When the Messiah came, when Jesus came, he did not spend time with the right kind of people. He came to people that were sinners and poor. He came to the opposite. And I think what Jesus is really getting at in this is the separation piece and how surprising what gets separated from the other. Because here we have not uh, a Jew and a Gentile standing next to each other, but we have just two people, two men in a field working. There doesn't seem to be anything different about them. And yet one is taken to judgment and one is left for blessing. And we have two women. Not, not, not a prostitute and a regular person, but two regular women. One was taken to judgment. One was left behind for reward. And, and so I think what Jesus is getting at is, is it's not about the outward appearances. It's not about the things that we could list off that say this is how you know you're prepared. It's about the heart. We should bring to mind what God said to Samuel when he stood in Bethlehem with Jesse's family. God does not look on the outward appearances, but he looks at the heart. We should not be judging the outward appearances. We should be looking to shape our hearts. So those are the three things we should not do. We should not try to guess exactly when he's coming. We should not be concerned about outward appearances. 
But instead, what should we do? And Jesus gives three stories that help tell us exactly how we should prepare for the second coming. Now, before I jump into those three stories, there are, there are three things that I just want to bring out here because I won't be able to as I summarize the story. There are three things that you see in every single uh, one of these stories that are really important, but I won't be able to spend too much time when we get into the story, so I'm going to tell you about it now. The first is that in all these stories, Jesus is the judge. Now, I know we like to think as God as the big, mean judge, and Jesus is our best friend trying to get the big, mean judge to be on our side. But that isn't the picture God gives. Jesus is very clear that judgment has been, the authority to judge has been given to him, the son. And so in all these stories, he is the judge, which means that we have to bring together justice and grace into one person, Jesus. We can't keep them separate. We can't act like they are opposites of each other that can never work together. We have to bring it together. The second thing is that there is no third way. It's always just two. It's always to destruction or to blessedness. It's always to judgment or to reward. There is no purgatory in here. There is no, no uh, second chances in here. There is no third way. And the last thing is that the language Jesus uses can only lead one to believe that hell is eternal conscious torment. That's forever separated from him. That is eternal conscious torment. And in other places of scripture, you can, you, can, you can move the text a little bit to see hell in a different way. But in Jesus' own painting of hell, in his own picture of it, it is always, always eternal conscious torment. So Jesus gets into three stories that tell us how to prepare for the second coming. The first story is a, a, a master puts his servant in charge when he's go, gone away. And so the servant did what I did when Pastor Chris left for Thanksgiving. I said, it's party time. Let's go crazy. Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris, that was just a joke. We were serious. I was serious. Don't worry. Uh, but that's what the servant did. He started partying. He started getting drunk, and he started treating his fellow servants just horribly. And, and Jesus' point with this is that the master comes back, and he condemns the servant for being unfaithful to the commands he gave him at the beginning. So the first way to prepare for the second coming is to just be faithful to the commandments we know Jesus has given we know that he commands us to love God and love our neighbors. So let's just be faithful in that. So let me ask you, is there a sin that you used to have conquered, but it's rearing its ugly head, it's coming back on you? Maybe it's time to prepare a 
and return that eagerness to fight that sin? Have you lost the way of love, joy, and peace? And you now recognize that your heart is filled with bitterness, fear, and anger? It's time to return to the faithfulness that Christ asks of us. So that's the first story. We must remain faithful. The second story is about uh, three workers again. And the first worker gets five bags of gold. And he has a great idea. He thinks tacos are amazing. And so he's going to build five taco stands with his five bags of gold. And of course, because tacos really are amazing, this is hugely successful. And he's able to double up his taco stands because who doesn't love tacos? Seriously, who doesn't love tacos? Uh, but, and so that was the first one. And when the master comes home, he's very, very pleased with the work. The second guy gets three bags of golds, and he thinks, all right, we'll do ice cream. We'll do ice cream trucks, because we miss ice cream trucks going up and down our neighborhood. And so he gets three ice cream trucks. And by the time the master comes back, it grows into six ice cream trucks. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And, but the third guy, the third guy thought he was extra smart. He's like, this is a bad time to invest in anything. The stock market is crumbling. Inflation is going up. Uh, we can't invest in anything right now. So I know what I'll do. He grabbed his shovel, and he dug a hole, and he threw his bag of gold into the hole and covered it up. And when the master came back, he raced out. He got his shovel. He dug about 10 holes because he couldn't find it at first. But eventually, he found his one gold. A bag of gold. He goes before the master. He holds it up and says, Master, you gave me one bag of gold and I give it back to you. I did. I kept it safe. And the master was furious at him. And he said, Why did you do that? And he said, I knew you were a harsh master. I knew that you expect great growth and I didn't think we could get great growth. So I, I, I hid it. And the master took the bag of gold away, gave it to the one who was being successful, and threw it away. Now, I think what Jesus is going at in this is that the master has a big plan of growing his kingdom. He is growing his business. And God has a big plan of growing the kingdom. And he calls on us to be a part of growing that kingdom. So let me ask you, are you putting in the work to invest in his kingdom? Who are you discipling right now? What friends or co-workers who don't know Jesus are you praying for and looking for opportunities to share Jesus with? Are you taking part in our missions committee, which are doing amazing things to raise funds for missionaries? Are you giving to missionaries yourself to see the kingdom expanded to the ends of the earth with every tribe, tongue, and nation to know him? How are you investing in expanding the kingdom? So 
He says, prepare by making sure that you are faithful to him, that your heart is still faithful to him. Prepare by investing in the kingdom. And third, he says, to prepare by making sure that you invest in the least of these. He tells the story of when he returns, that he will separate people as sheep and goats. And to those who are sheep, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And they said, great, but what did we do? And Jesus says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in jail, you came and visited me. And they said, but when did that happen? We never saw you hungry or thirsty or in jail. And he said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And he goes to the other side and he says to the goats, now get away from me, you workers of wickedness. And they said, what do we do? And he said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. And they said, we never saw you like that. We never saw you hungry or thirsty. When was that? And he said, what you did not do for the least of these, you've not done to me. So let me ask you, have you taken up our opportunities to serve the poor and the least of these? Advent is a great season to do that. There are so many opportunities available. We have opportunities with angels, angel trees who help those who are foster parents and those who are poor. We have another thing for foster kids where they can come and, and pick out a, a present for their foster parents so they can feel a part of the Christmas season. We have multiple things. I know in our community there's clothes drives. I know our church needs more and more uh, food pantry items for our food pantry for the homeless. I know there are so many opportunities this Christmas season. Will you take one of those opportunities to serve the least of these? Because Jesus makes it clear that preparing for his second coming isn't about drawing strings while reading the newspaper to guess the day. It's not about our outward appearances either. It's not about just living our day-to-day -day life and, and forgetting about him. No, Jesus makes it clear that to prepare for his second coming is to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts to, towards him, to embrace him as our Lord and Savior, to say, your way is my way. I'm going to remain faithful to you. We need to embrace his big kingdom vision and be thrilled to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. And our hearts need to embrace those who Jesus embraces the most, the poor, the oppressed, the least of these. So let's do that this season. Let's prepare our hearts for his second coming.
Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for the wonderful, blessed truth that you are coming again, that you are going to set right the injustices in this world, that you are going to judge the world, but that you are also going to get rid of sin and death, that you are going to bring in a kingdom of righteousness and holiness and life and joy and peace. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us prepare our hearts. Not, not guessing it when you come, not just changing the outside, but Lord, change our hearts. Change our hearts so that we are, are, are loving of your commands, so that we remain faithful to your commands. Change our hearts so that we are passionate about your kingdom and what you are going to do to bring the nations to yourself. And change our hearts to care about the least of these so that we can be prepared when you come again. Pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, please.